Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Story time. As a National Guard agent, I've seen my fair share of crises. But nothing, nothing could have prepared me for this. Our orders were clear, secure the classified government facility. Ensure no information leaks. Standard protocol for a security breach. Or so we thought. We arrived at the facility in Colorado, a nondescript concrete block hidden in the heart of the desert, under the cover of darkness. The main gate was busted open. Inside, it looked like a war zone. The place was ransacked, claw marks etched into the steel walls, blood splatters staining the white tile floors. But there was no sign of the perpetrators. No sign of life at all. As we delved deeper, we stumbled upon something straight out of a horror movie. The facility wasn't just a data center, it was a lab. A lab filled with cages, and in those cages, we found the unthinkable. 
There were creatures, grotesque, monstrous hybrids of humans and animals. Some were dead, victims of the breakout. But many cages were empty. They'd escaped. We soon learned what these creatures were, chimeras, born of illegal genetic experiments. Unholy fusions of man and beast, they were unlike anything we'd ever seen. They were intelligent, strong, and deadly. They were the security breach we were here to contain. The hunt was on. We tracked the chimeras through the sprawling facility, each encounter more deadly than the last. These creatures were not mindless beasts. They used their human intelligence combined with their animalistic abilities to evade and attack us. They were the perfect soldiers, and we were their prey. Meanwhile, we began to uncover the truth. We found documents, reports, and video logs detailing the creation of these chimeras. This was a government-sanctioned project, funded by taxpayers, hidden from the public eye. The goal was to create a new kind of soldier, one with enhanced strength, speed, and resilience. Each document we discovered was more disturbing than the last. They had been playing God, and now we were paying the price. We fought the chimeras day and night, using every ounce of our training to outsmart and outmaneuver them. Each encounter left us more drained and desperate, but we couldn't let these creatures escape into the outside world. In the midst of this chaos, we found allies in unexpected places. Some of the facility's staff had survived the breakout. They were as horrified by the project as we were, and they helped us understand the chimeras better. Their insights proved invaluable in our fight. We finally cornered the last of the chimeras in the heart of the facility. It was the most human of them all, a chilling testament to the extent of the experiments conducted here. It fought savagely, but in the end, we managed to subdue it. Once the facility was secure, we had to confront the reality of what we'd uncovered. The conspiracy ran deep, reaching into the highest echelons of power. Our superiors demanded silence, but we couldn't let this atrocity be swept under the rug. August 1994. The month, year, and the memory are permanently etched into my mind. I'm Becky Katz, just an ordinary bookshop customer from Astoria, Oregon. That day, my son and I had decided to take a break from the city noise and spend the day collecting mushrooms near the fish hatchery by Blind Slough, 18 miles away from Astoria off the Columbia River. We had been at it since early morning, and it was around 8.30 a.m. when it happened. The morning mist was still lingering around the trees, the air crisp and clean. As we carefully navigated through the undergrowth, a sudden rustle caught our attention. We turned towards the noise, and that's when we saw it. It was a figure, gray-brown, and larger than any man I'd ever seen. Its body was covered in thick, matted fur, and it had an unmistakable wildness about it. It looked somewhat like a bearded hunter, but its size and stature were far from human. I remember the moment our eyes met. It was only a split second, but it felt like an eternity. There was a look of surprise, maybe even fear, in its eyes. And then, just as suddenly as it had appeared, it turned and ran away, disappearing into the dense forest. My son and I were frozen in place, shock and fear rendering us motionless. When we finally came to our senses, we ran in the opposite direction, 
not stopping until we had reached the safety of our car. As we drove back home, we kept replaying the incident over and over in our heads. We were both trying to make sense of what we had seen. After some discussion, we arrived at the only possible explanation that made sense, we had seen Bigfoot. I still remember the feeling of disbelief, the adrenaline rush, and the fear. But more than that, I remember the sense of awe and wonder. We had witnessed something extraordinary that day, something few people get to see in their lifetimes. Since that day, our mushroom collecting trips have been filled with a sense of anticipation and excitement. We never saw the creature again, but the memory of that day remains as vivid as ever. It was a reminder that there are still mysteries in this world, waiting to be discovered. And sometimes, those mysteries find you when you least expect them. I, Officer Lamech, reported a terrifying sighting of what I believe to be the legendary Mothman. My sighting occurred on highway in Wyoming. Suddenly, in front of me, right above a slow-moving car, was the figure of a man with his wings folded in across his back. The wings appeared to be leathery in texture, like a bat's, and were even pointed on the ends. A sort of sting protruded from the creature's belt line. I stopped my car and tried to get out when I saw the creature taking off in flight at an incredible speed. I would describe it as follows, it stood between 6 and 7 feet tall, had a wingspan over 14 feet wide from tip to tip, and large glowing red eyes. It flew at an angle towards the east. It made no noise other than a whooshing sound like air through its wings. It had claws on its feet, and something on its back looking like two cylinders. I reported my sighting to the local PD where I was laughed at, ridiculed, and finally forced into early retirement for psychological reasons. I was told that if I reported another sighting of this kind, I would be brought up on charges of mental instability. It's interesting to note that I am extremely well respected within the community. I'm an upstanding member of society with no history of family or personal mental illness or alcoholism. I am very much a regular guy with a wife and kids. This has been one hard creature to research due to the reluctance of people involved in the case that are willing to talk about it. I immediately went and checked the area where I think I initially came across something which was just a short distance away. The road on which I saw it circles around, comes back up on the top of itself in an oval-like shape, with gravel roads going out in different areas of the farm. We were not able to find anything, but even my son said he thinks he saw something by one of those houses. It's no longer there, but maybe even a garden plot that had been abandoned long ago. The land has been farmed for probably decades now before being converted into pasture land. The entire sighting lasted approximately three seconds from me seeing it while driving until it was fully gone. Since the sight was airborne from my recollection, it was extremely large, stood right next to a tree. I saw eye shine, and the eyes were large as well, with what appeared to be claws on its feet. The creature had long hair or fur all over it. Most of it was covered by something that I said appeared like a cape or wings, even covering most of its body lengths. I couldn't tell if they were webbed, but they were definitely something attached to it which we may have thought. I am 100% positive I saw this, 
and am actually very shaken up about it since I clearly have no explanation for it. My car stopped working immediately after the sighting, so I believe there's some sort of electrical interference occurring at the time. I believe it stood about 7 foot tall, dark in color, wings folded across its back, and extended like a stingray. My car stopped working after it took off into the air at an angle towards the eastern direction. But due to the electrical interference with my radio, which was turned off at the time of the sighting, which is also noted with other Mothman encounters, we were not able to find any evidence of anything. But we both believe I saw something and would like to help finding what I saw. I am Sergeant Marcus, a National Guard agent specializing in biochemical threats. When the call came in about a remote research facility in Montana that had gone dark, I was dispatched to investigate. I remember feeling a strange sense of apprehension as we boarded the chopper, the usual humdrum replaced by a tense silence. None of us had a clue about what we were walking into. The facility was located in a desolate part of Nevada, a blip of concrete and steel in the midst of arid nothingness. We landed just as the sun began to set, bathing the facility in an eerie, foreboding glow. We made our way in, weapons drawn, nerves on edge. The silence was deafening. The complex was a labyrinth of corridors and rooms, all eerily deserted. It was as if the facility's staff had vanished into thin air. We made our way to the central lab, where we found the cause of the radio silence. The room was in complete disarray, papers scattered, lab equipment overturned, and at its center, a swirling vortex of energy that pulsed with a sickly light. It was a portal, unlike anything I'd ever seen. A low growl echoed through the room, and a creature unlike any I had ever seen emerged from the portal. It was grotesque, its form defying the laws of nature. Its eyes glowed a malevolent red, and saliva dripped from its gnarled, sharp-toothed mouth. It roared, a sound that shook the very foundations of the facility, and charged at us. We opened fire, bullets tearing into the creature, but it seemed unfazed. More creatures followed, each more horrifying than the last. The facility became a battlefield, the air filled with the sounds of gunfire and the roars of the monstrous beings. But we held our ground, fighting tooth and nail against an enemy we barely understood. In the midst of the chaos, our tech specialist, Private Thompson, worked feverishly to reverse-engineer the portal. Sweat poured down his face as he manipulated the alien tech, trying to find a way to close the portal. I covered him, bullets flying from my weapon, each shot taking down a creature. Time seemed to stretch, each second an eternity. Finally, Thompson shouted, I've got it. He hit a button, and the portal began to shrink. The creatures roared in defiance, their hideous faces twisted in rage. But it was too late. The portal collapsed in on itself, leaving nothing but the cold, harsh fluorescent lights of the lab. We were battered and bruised, but alive. The creatures were gone, the portal closed. The facility was silent once more. But the memory of those creatures, of the portal, was seared into my mind, a constant reminder of the unknown threats that lurk in the shadows. I am Sergeant Marcus, a National Guard agent. I defended humanity against a threat from another dimension. 
and I would do it again, in a heartbeat. I serve as a park ranger at a park that seems to have far more playground than actual park. This means there's tons of child traffic most days, but of course, my most days, this was back in the year of 2018, long before any crazy pandemic of any virus. There was even more on the weekends and on days that school was out. I'm older now, so my kids are grown and gone. So. I enjoy my job when I got to see kids nearly every day. They didn't really seem to notice me, though. I just kind of blended into the background. Which is why it caught my attention one day, when on a very busy weekend, there was a little girl at the far end of the park that was smiling and waving at me. I looked around to make sure she wasn't waving to a friend or a parent or something, but no, she was looking straight at me and waving. I smiled and went back kind of chuckling to myself since most of these kids don't pay me any mind. My mood seemed lighter for the rest of the day after that. The following day, which was Sunday, there was just as much of a population of kids at the playground. They were all scattered about and I remember, to my surprise, there was that same little girl that had waved at me the day prior. She waved and smiled just as enthusiastically. My heart melted and I waved back. After all the stuff I saw in various areas of law enforcement spanned over the years, things like that restored my faith in humanity. I got two days off and came back on a Wednesday, making my rounds as usual. There were some kids, just not as many, a very common feat during the weekend and weekday. But I came back to that one playground and there was that still that same little girl smiling. She was always wearing that same outfit and she was standing in the exact same spot. That's when I began to feel differently and even felt an open pit in my stomach. So I smiled and waved back to her when I noticed that she never stopped smiling or waving. The only thing that seemed to have changed is that she was smiling bigger than the very first time that I saw her, and maybe she seemed more thin. She was near back to a cluster of bushes that seemed to be right next to the general area but were actually a bit further back. I decided to approach her to see what the real issue was and as I did, I was hit with a horrifying odor. The stench of death and rotting flesh. There's a rope that was tied around her neck and her left arm in such a way that she would stand upright and have her arm raised slightly when the bush swayed in the breeze. She looked like she was waving. Without getting into any gruesome details, she had been horribly mutilated to show that she was smiling and waving again. Since I dealt with children, this made me disgusted. I got very dizzy and I had to sit down. How was I the only one who had seen her since Saturday? I immediately called out and filed a report. Even my superiors thought my story was strange and even suspicious because they too wondered how I was the only one who had seen her. I wish I had a better explanation and I feel like there were two deaths during the whole situation, hers and my faith in people. I walked about a mile from home to go mushroom hunting in a usual area. Walked through a field of goldenrod as high as my shoulders and was about to enter the woods when I felt something strange. I felt like I needed to go or I wouldn't get out of there alive. I didn't hear or see anything, but I had got goosebumps and I felt anxious when everything was fine before I reached that spot. 
I stood there debating and decided to go hunt somewhere else. I've gone back many times and haven't experienced that again. I live in an area that have bears, wolves, coyotes and bobcats, I've never had any problems with them on walks or hikes in the woods, but maybe that day would have been different or maybe there was a bad person in there. I've learned to trust this feeling I get, it saved me many times and when I ignored it I got hurt. Whatever was in there, I did the right thing in not going in. It was the end of August, a perfect time for a vacation, and I, Donald, had decided to indulge my hobby of prospecting for gold. So, there I was, on the Chetco River, about 18 miles northeast of Brookings, hoping to strike it rich. And guess what? I found a vein. But that's not the story I want to tell you. What happened next was far more exciting, and much more terrifying. After a day of exploring the area, driving the dirt roads in my trusty old Jeep, I had decided to take a break. I parked the Jeep by the road to let the engine cool, the very dry and steep slope line with thick brush just a few feet away. Visibility into the undergrowth was no more than 15 feet, but it was peaceful, serene. Then, without warning, the tranquility was shattered. Something charged at me through the brush. I couldn't see what it was, but I could hear it, a rustling sound that grew louder and closer. Then, just as suddenly as it had started, it stopped. Whatever it was, it was lurking in the brush, about 35 feet away. I could hear it moving, but I couldn't see it. My heart was pounding in my chest, and I felt a cold rush of adrenaline. Thoughts raced through my mind. Was it a bear? An elk? Or something else? I couldn't shake off the feeling of dread. I needed to protect myself. I rushed to the trunk of my Jeep and pulled out my Magnum gun. I'm ready for you, I muttered, trying to sound braver than I felt. But nothing happened. Whatever it was, it didn't come any closer. The confrontation, if you can call it that, lasted about three to four minutes, but it felt like an eternity. Shaken by the experience, I decided to consult a local park ranger. A friend had introduced me to Ranger Ben, a grizzled veteran who knew the area like the back of his hand. We discussed the possibility of another animal, bear, elk, or even a cougar. But Ben wasn't so sure. You know, he said, leaning back in his chair, there are stories around these parts. Stories about a creature living deep in the woods. Some call it Bigfoot. I scoffed at the idea. But deep down, the unease lingered. Was it possible? Had I had a confrontation with Bigfoot? I guess I'll never know. But one thing's for sure, that vacation was one I'll never forget. I was a live-in caretaker for a 94-year-old woman with Alzheimer's for about a year and a half. She had moved into her daughter's home deep in the woods of middle of nowhere Washington. Marie was prone to say weird things, like that her sister deceased, mother, deceased, and husband, deceased, were in the house or outside regularly. I had been working with dementia patients for a few years by this point so it never bothered me. Marie was terrified of the woods. She would tell me about how there's dangerous animals out there and I could get lost easily so I must always stay inside. 
She was also worried about her mother and husband having to travel through them. Again, this wasn't worrisome behavior given her health condition. I had been working with her for about six or seven months when I would start waking up to her walking down the halls in the middle of the night. Sundowning is fairly normal for people with Alzheimer's so again I wasn't troubled by this, but she started going to a specific window and giggling. Like she was interacting with someone outside the window. When asked what she was doing she'd say my mother is out there. Kind of weird, but there's a different perception in her world now. One night in dead of winter her daughter and I are awoken to the blaring of the house's alarm system. The daughter and I check the doors and windows, none of which seem to be disturbed or unlocked. The only thing missing is Marie. She is nowhere in the house. Panicked, I rush outside to find her while the daughter continues to search the house. No tracks anywhere, no disturbed snow, nothing. After 10-15 minutes of yelling slash searching the woods I start making my way back to house where her daughter was already in the process of calling 911. As I reproach the house I see Marie. Standing outside the window she normally stood at giggling. There's not a single footstep in the snow around her, nor is she cold to the touch. She's just standing there laughing at nothing, didn't even know she was outside. Her late night window visits became more frequent after this, but less happy. She'd get combative with the window and scream at whoever she believed to be there. Then it just stopped one day. One of the last conversations I had with Marie before she passed she told me to not let them take me into those woods. I hope they didn't. Unfortunately it's hard to explain. I was hiking down a trail with my dog in remote northern Wisconsin, when I just got a weird feeling. At the exact same time, the heckles on my dog went straight up and he began acting really anxious. About the same time, I came into a clearing in the woods, and got hit with what I can only describe as a sound wave. It was like someone was blasting a subwoofer right next to me but there was nothing around. The nearest road was maybe a mile away. Something told me to get the fout of there. So I quickly turned around and hiked as quickly as possible the rest of the way back. I didn't hear that bass sound after I left the clearing, but I still felt like something was following me. We were just doing our usual training exercise. I'm Sergeant Thompson, part of a National Guard unit running routine maneuvers in a heavily forested area near a small, secluded town. We were only supposed to be there for a few days, but those few days turned into something I'll never forget. Our first clue something was off was when we found the bodies. They were mauled, torn apart in ways that no normal animal could manage. The townsfolk were terrified, and we quickly found ourselves taking on a role we'd never anticipated. Protectors against something far from routine. The local sheriff told us about the legends, about creatures that roamed the woods when the moon was full. Werewolves, he said, half joking, half believing. We laughed it off at first. But then, as night fell and the full moon rose, we heard the howls. They were unlike anything I'd ever heard, a chilling mix of man and beast, echoing through the quiet forest. Our laughter quickly faded. Suddenly, the legends didn't seem so funny. We rallied our unit, prepping our military equipment. 
We were soldiers, trained to handle any threat, even if that threat was straight out of a horror movie. The townsfolk were counting on us, and we weren't about to let them down. The werewolves came as the night deepened. They were swift and brutal, their movements almost a blur under the silver moonlight. Their howls filled the air, their eyes glowed in the darkness. They were terrifying, but we stood our ground. We fought with everything we had. Our bullets seemed to only slow them down, but we kept firing, kept fighting. We used our military training to strategize, to coordinate our attacks. We set traps, created choke points, and used the town's layout to our advantage. The battle was fierce, and we lost some good men and women that night. But we also saved lives. We protected the town's residents, helped them survive the night. And as dawn approached, the howls faded, and the werewolves retreated. We were left standing amidst the quiet town, the full moon setting, and the first rays of sunlight peeking over the horizon. We were bruised and battered, but we were victorious. We'd protected the town, neutralized the threat. The following days were a blur of reports and debriefings. Our superiors were skeptical, but the evidence was undeniable. We were hailed as heroes by the town's folk, their gratitude evident in their tear-streaked faces. That training mission turned into something none of us could have ever predicted. It changed us, made us realize just how unpredictable our world could be. We faced down werewolves under a full moon, and we lived to tell the tale. And now, every time the moon is full, I can't help but listen for the howls. There's a certain charm to living in the desert boonies, a charm that's often lost on those who've never experienced the vast emptiness, the silence, and the solitude it offers. My girlfriend lived out there, in a small house surrounded by an endless expanse of sand and shrubs. I'd often spend nights with her, enjoying the peace that the desert night brought. But there was a catch to living in such seclusion. Her house was near a state penitentiary, a place notorious for its frequent escapees. This was back in the day, long before cell phones and digital alerts became commonplace. So, the only way the authorities would inform us about a prison break was through police helicopters flying overhead, blaring messages from megaphones. I remember one night distinctly. The desert was quiet, the sky was clear, and we had just drifted off to sleep when we were abruptly awakened by a deafening roar. A police helicopter was flying over our house, its searchlight piercing through the darkness, and a voice was screaming at us from the sky. Attention! Attention! An inmate has escaped from the state penitentiary. Please stay indoors and make sure all your doors and windows are locked. In the silence of the desert night, the sound was jarring, even terrifying. We bolted out of bed, hearts pounding in our chests, and ran around the house, checking all the locks and windows, ensuring they were secure. The helicopter continued its rounds, the voice echoed in the desert, repeating its warning. We huddled together in the living room, waiting for the commotion to die down, waiting for the silence to return. Those were good times, in their own strange way. They were times that tested our courage, times that broke the monotony of our desert life, times that brought us closer together. We were never in any real danger, but the adrenaline, the fear, the excitement, 
They all made our life out there in the desert boonies a little more thrilling, a little more adventurous. And looking back, I wouldn't have had it any other way. It was June 15, 1994, a day that I still remember vividly. I was camping with my friends in the deep wilderness. The night had a coolness to it, the kind you only get when you're far away from the city lights and the sounds of civilization. There we were, tucked away in our camp, when something happened that would stay with me forever. Around midnight, I heard the sound of a large animal walking through our camp. It was coming from the dense forest, its footfalls heavy and distinct. I knew enough about the wilderness to know not to provoke a large animal, so I stayed quiet, alert, and let it pass. I listened as the sound slowly receded, the animal moving away from our camp. At 5 in the morning, my campmates and I gathered around the smoldering embers of our fire, sharing our experiences of the previous night. One of them even accused me of being the animal, saying he had seen a human silhouette at the time we all heard the sounds. It was a ridiculous accusation, but it added to the eeriness of the situation. Half an hour later, I was about a mile downstream when I heard a loud commotion in the gravel of a 10-foot cut bank. Thinking it was my friend playing a prank, I walked towards the noise. But as I got closer, a horrific smell hit me, something I had never smelled before. It was pungent, rotting, far worse than any animal scent I had ever encountered, even worse than my old dog on his smelliest day. I picked up a few rocks and threw them towards the source of the sound hoping to scare off whatever was there. But nothing moved, nothing ran off like a normal animal would. The smell hung in the air, the commotion stopped, and everything was eerily silent. I remember standing there, the hair on the back of my neck standing up, a chill running down my spine. I was an experienced camper, a seasoned hunter, but that day, I encountered something that I couldn't explain, something that challenged my understanding of the natural world. It's an experience that I'll never forget, a story that I still tell around campfires, under the starlit sky, reminding myself and others of the mysteries that the wilderness still holds. I've always had an affinity for the cold, which is why I sleep with the windows open, even in winter. My apartment is nestled high enough, about three stories off the ground, ensuring that the chill winds are my only nocturnal visitors. Where I live, deer move about mostly at night, and their soft footsteps rustling through the fallen leaves have become my usual lullaby. It was eerie at first, but over the years, I've grown accustomed to it. One night, however, something sounded amiss. Amidst the usual patter of deer hooves, there was a new, distinct rustle, something fast, something unnatural. A sudden alarm snort rang out, followed by frantic thuds, as if the deer were scattering in terror. Then came the barking, a cacophony of distress calls, and sounds of dragging and snorting that sent shivers down my spine. Underneath my blanket, my palms were sweaty, my heartbeat echoing in my ears. I was paralyzed with fear, my mind conjuring up images of unknown horrors lurking beneath my window. The noises eventually faded into an eerie silence, and I mustered the courage to close the windows, barricading myself from the ominous unknown. Sleep came hesitantly, 
the echoes of the night's terror still fresh in my ears. When dawn broke, I ventured outside. There was little evidence of the nocturnal chaos, just some fresh dirt, displaced in the deer's frantic escape. But that night taught me some valuable lessons, ones that will forever resonate with me. Never venture into the woods without a lamp and a gun. And if you must, never go alone. The woods have their secrets, secrets that are best left undiscovered in the dead of the night. Growing up in the heart of rural southeast Kansas was an adventure in itself. My childhood was filled with the thrill of exploring the great outdoors, traversing the tall grass prairies, and adventuring into the unknown with my friends. Our ages ranged from 10 to 14, and our ventures were led by youthful curiosity, armed only with pellet and BB guns, and maybe a knife for good measure. On one such adventure, we set out after dusk towards a shallow creek that meandered through a small forest about a mile from my best friend's house. The thrill of the nocturnal expedition had us buzzing with excitement, but that excitement was soon replaced with an... Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Unnerving sensation. The deeper we ventured into the woods, the more we felt an eerie sense of being watched. An inexplicable feeling that something was trailing us, hidden in the inky blackness of the night. Despite our efforts, we couldn't spot what was triggering our primal instincts. A sense of dread washed over us, and instinctively we huddled together, facing outward, each one of us on high alert. Deciding that we had had enough of the woods for the night, we bolted out of the forest, our feet crunching the dried leaves, hearts pounding. As we emerged into the tall grass prairie that led back to the house, I dared to glance back at the tree line. There, I caught a glimpse of what seemed like a mountain lion's tail disappearing into a bush. The sight sent a shiver down my spine, and I quickly urged my friends to stay close as we made our way back home. Once safe, we confided in my friend's father, who worked for the local parks and rec department and was well acquainted with the fish and game personnel. Officially, we were told that there were no big cats in southeast Kansas. However, he shared that there had been some whispers about a potentially untracked male mountain lion in the area. From that day onwards, our adventures held a hint of trepidation, a constant reminder of the wild and unpredictable nature of the world we so eagerly sought to explore. 
I was tree planting near Smithers, British Columbia, about an hour and a half into the mountains on dirt roads. I tried my best to just forget this incident even occurred, as I simple could not find a way to rationalize what happened. I don't care who believes me or not by the way, but what happened is this, it was almost midnight and I was trying to sleep in my tent. My tent was near a bunch of standing dead trees that would creak when the wind picked up. A very loud and distinct sound. Now on this particular night it was dead silent and still. I started to hear sticks cracking and steps being taken that slowly got closer over the course of about 15 minutes. It was loud enough I was certain there was a bear approaching my tent. It got so close that it had to be no further than 15 feet from my tent. Cracking sticks and padding around the forest floor. I decided to yell out very loudly. Silence. I was answered with nothing but deafening silence. No sound of the creature fleeing or doing anything at all. I sat in silence to scared to move, trying to rationalize to no conclusion. About 20 minutes of dead silence later, I heard the eeriest, unnatural, and unexplainable noise. It was the exact same timbre and volume and just basically the same sound as the trees outside creaking. But instead of being a regular creak, it began, and then held the exact same note of creak for a full 5 seconds or even longer. It was like an unnatural drone that was obviously not a tree creaking. There was not a hint of wind or any other trees creaking as per usual. I got barely any sleep and the next day was tough, and I just had to forget about it. I didn't ever make the connection that skinwalkers are known to imitate sounds like that until a few weeks ago. This happened in July 2022. If anyone has had a similar experience or has any ideas of what this could have been, I'd love to hear. My childhood memories of growing up in the rugged heart of Appalachia, some 45 miles away from the nearest semblance of civilization, are as vivid as yesterday. One such memory that still sends a chill down my spine happened when I was 8 years old, during a freezing winter night. Dad and I were huddled on the couch, the soft glow from the TV illuminating our living room. We were engrossed in an episode of Sightings, a spine-chilling 90s show that featured alien encounters. The storylines were eerie enough to scare the living daylights out of me, and that particular night, the universe decided to up the ante. As we sat absorbed in the show, a sudden knock-knock on the window cut through the silence of our isolated home. The pitch-black world outside our window was a stark contrast to our lit living room, an unsettling thought that whatever was out there could see us while we were blinded to it. My dad, ever the protector, instructed me to stay put with the telephone by my side. With a mag light in his hand, he ventured out into the bone-chilling cold to investigate. He locked the door behind him, leaving me with explicit instructions to call the police if he didn't return in five minutes. As the door clicked shut, fear gripped me tighter. When he returned, his face wore an odd expression, but he brushed it off, suggesting it must have been an animal. Yet, his following actions betrayed his nonchalant explanation. He picked up our long-corded telephone and dialed his best friend, requesting him to come up and investigate. Thinking I was engrossed in the TV, he retreated to another room, but I was far from distracted. I heard him say, his voice barely above a whisper, I'm telling you, 
There was a knock like someone was knocking on the window to be let in, but there were no footprints. I'm in my late 30s now, but the memory of that night, the knocking, the darkness, and my dad's hushed conversation, still sends shivers down my spine. The mystery of who or what knocked on our window that snowy night in the isolated expanse of Appalachia remains unsolved. And perhaps, it's better that way. I've always been fascinated by mythology, but I never expected it to be part of my day job. I'm Private Ava, a CIA agent with a PhD in history, specializing in ancient civilizations and their myths. That was how I found myself in the middle of a bustling city, staring up at a cathedral and the stone gargoyles perched ominously on its roof. The city had been reporting incidents of the gargoyles coming to life and causing chaos, a fact that was hard for me to wrap my head around. But the evidence was undeniable. CCTV footage clearly showed stone figures moving around, their stony wings spread wide as they flew over the city, causing panic and destruction. My unit was brought in to handle the situation, tasked with protecting civilians, battling these stone beasts, and figuring out how to put a stop to the chaos. And since I was the one with the knowledge of ancient myths and curses, I was expected to figure out what was causing this and how to stop it. Examining the cathedral and the gargoyles, I recalled a legend from medieval times, a tale of gargoyles coming to life under the influence of an ancient curse. The curse was said to be activated by a sacrilegious act committed on hallowed grounds. I shared my theory with my team, and we started our investigation. We found out that a rare artifact, a golden chalice, had been stolen from the cathedral the night before the gargoyles came to life. I deduced that the theft was the sacrilegious act that had activated the curse. The curse could be broken, according to the legend, by returning the stolen item and conducting a purification ritual. While we searched for the chalice, the gargoyles continued their nightly reign of terror. We were on the front lines each night, using our tactical training to draw the gargoyles away from the civilians and minimize the damage. It was a terrifying sight, battling against these monstrous stone creatures under the moonlit sky. Finally, we tracked down the thieves and recovered the chalice. But the hardest part was yet to come. Conducting the purification ritual required someone who knew the ancient language, and that was me. As night fell, we prepared for another round with the gargoyles. But this time, we had a plan. As my team fought off the gargoyles, I stood on the cathedral roof, the golden chalice in my hands, reciting the ancient words of the purification ritual. It felt like an eternity before I finished. As the last word left my lips, a blinding light enveloped the cathedral. The gargoyles froze mid-flight, then, one by one, they returned to their perches, becoming lifeless stone once again. The city breathed a sigh of relief. We'd done it. We'd protected the civilians, battled mythical stone beasts, and broke an ancient curse. It was a mission I'll never forget, a testament to the power of history, myth, and the importance of a good team. Now, whenever I walk by a cathedral and see the gargoyles perched high above, I can't help but shudder and remember that fateful mission. And as a CIA agent who specializes in history and mythology, I know better than to underestimate the power of a good legend.
I was 10 years old in 1972 or 1973, just a kid with a whole lot of chores, one of which was to check the mailbox. Our mailbox was a bit of a walk from the house, and Gracie, my mother's dachshund, loved to accompany me on these little adventures. It was a summer afternoon, and Gracie and I were on our way to the mailbox when we noticed a coyote lying beside it. As we got closer, the coyote started jumping around, as though it wanted to play. Gracie, ever the sociable one, started yapping excitedly and wagging her tail. I scooped her up and rushed back home, heart pounding in my chest. The following day, it was the same scene. The coyote was there, seemingly waiting for us, and it began its playful jumping routine as we approached. On the third day, I got complacent. I wasn't paying as much attention as I should have been, and Gracie saw her opportunity. She bolted from my grasp and ran towards the coyote. Two larger coyotes emerged from the high grass and carried her off before I could react. I was left standing there, helpless. A few days later, I was heading to check the mail again. Life continued, even if your heart was breaking. That's how things were back then. I was shocked to see the same coyote sitting in the same spot. As I got closer, it started jumping around as if it wanted to play. This time, it wanted to play with me. I remember moving from the city a few months before this incident. Gracie would always jump up to go with me anytime I went outside. My grandmother, till the day she died, believed that Gracie took those walks to protect me. I guess, in her own way, she did. She taught me the harsh realities of life in the wild, a lesson I'd carry with me for the rest of my life. Location is a campground that may or may not be currently accessible. I know it was closed, gated off from the road, for quite a while a good few years ago. Factory Shoals Campground, a good 20 minutes outside of Covington, Georgia. Yes, that's where they filmed the Vampire Diaries. Anyway, Factory Shoals Recreation Area. The campground. I'll say that I've never seen many other people out at this huge park even on the nicest days, but a friend lives in a subdivision down the road. The area is sporadically rural if that makes sense. You'll come across a school, a gas station, and a pretty big neighborhood but nothing else for another 6 or 7 minutes down the road. The campground is next to the Alcovi River. In order to reach it you have to drive through Newton Factory Cemetery, an old cemetery with mostly older graves sitting on the side of the road, slightly hidden by trees, smack in nowhere. I've often wondered about this. Graves date back to the 1800s, maybe illegible ones are even older, and at some point somebody says hey, let's put a road through the cemetery and create a campground. So you go down this janky road through the cemetery about a quarter mile, and here you are, barely managed campground. There's maybe seven sites, mostly next to the river. I'm with a friend. It's a nice evening, the light bustling of the river is calming. There's only one other site occupied a bit down, no street lamps, the only light you have is the fire and your flashlight. So when we're headed to bed, fire extinguished, it's pitch black. You can see the stars, there must not have been a moon that night. I'm laying down and close my eyes and realize it's too damn quiet. Deafening silence. 
I jump back up and go to my friend's tent and tell her I'm suddenly feeling creeped. We both realize the bugs and even the river have gone silent. To be fair the river is only about 8 feet across and about 2 feet deep here. We had commented on the peaceful lull of the river all through the evening. With curiosity stronger than fear we walk over toward the water and observe a mist or fog lifting from the water. We are a little anxious and don't want to get right up on the bank to see if we can see the water moving. So my friend remember a light up fishing lure type thing she has in her bag, fetches it, tosses it in, and it just sits there, it doesn't flow down. So it's like the river came to a complete stop in its movement, is releasing a thick mist, and it's completely dark and silent, except for that lure and its faint red glow barely visible through the thick mist. We both kind of start muttering that we should maybe pack up quick and leave before I see the spark and hear a gun firing not 15 feet away from us, shine a light for a split second before we're both in the car, it's cranked, and we're tearing out of there. I didn't see anyone either from shining my light or from the headlights, and I about had a panic attack coming through the cemetery after that with the elongated shadows from headstones and monuments. I didn't sleep that night even after crashing on my friend's couch. Logic tells me the quiet could have come from a prowling human with a gun, but the mist and a river current stopping? And what if the who slash whatever followed us? I didn't even gather my tent and sleeping bag before going home the next day. I luckily had placed my bag in my car for some reason instead of taking it inside, so my only loss was the small old tent, the sleeping bag, a battery-powered lantern, and a camp chair. So it's maybe a year later and I'm in the area with my husband and he doesn't believe me about a campground on the other side of a cemetery. It's midday and I decide to show him, pull up, see that the road is now blocked off beyond the graves with a sign that states the campground is currently closed. We get out a minute to walk around the cemetery. It's a dirt road, there's a lot of kicked up dust settling. So much so that my husband asks if there's water in my trunk, he's coughing. I go to get it, cursing under my breath at the thick layer of settled dust already on my precious sports car and notice. A very clean and distinct fresh tiny handprint on my trunk. It had to be fresh because I stood there and watched the still settling dirt start to stick and fill it in. We'd never made it more than a few feet from the car, there's nobody else out there. Again, we book it out of there. I know there's a legend about parking cars on hills in certain areas at night and you'll find little hand prints on the back and your car will have moved. My car didn't move but those were legit fresh little hand prints. I'm not sure if the cemetery brings playful souls, the entire area holds onto some type of energy, or there's just some incredibly sneaky people that hang out in minimally trafficked woods and backroads. I'll reiterate that this is part of a park, a recreational area that has grills and picnic tables about 3 minutes down the road, and I never saw anyone there the few times I visited aside from my friend, husband, or the other tent I saw further down the river when we tried to camp. I've never gone back. I've been to other places in Newton Company, though, that give off similar vibes. The Alcovi Trestle. Gaither Plantation. A random church smack dab in the middle of the woods. That creepy old gas station. That's the story. I used to live in Japan, 
a place that is an enchanting blend of the ancient and the modern. A friend and I decided to take a trip to the mountains, a respite from the bustling city life. This friend of mine was a fellow adventurer, someone who shared my love for nature and the mysteries it held. One evening, during our mountain stay, we decided to go for a night walk, a ramble through the unfamiliar terrain under the starlit sky. The mountains were a maze of paths and trails, each leading to something new and unexplored. As we ambled along, we stumbled upon a Tory gate, standing alone, its vermilion columns stark against the dark mountainside. But it was a Tory gate unlike any other we had seen. Instead of leading to a shrine or temple, as they usually do, this one was met with an impassable rock face. It was an enigma, a puzzle that the mountains had thrown our way. Tori gates are symbolic passageways in Shintoism, marking the transition from the profane to the sacred. But what sacredness could a rock face hold? In our shared confusion, we both looked up at the sky, as if seeking answers from the cosmos. And that's when we saw it. A great multicolored light, hovering just above us, close enough to touch yet ethereal in its beauty. It was like a celestial gas, shimmering in the full spectrum of colors, casting an otherworldly glow on the Tori and the rock face. Then, as suddenly as it had appeared, it disappeared, leaving behind a sky full of stars and two awestruck observers. We stood there, staring at the place where the light had been, a sense of something incredibly significant settling over us. We felt changed, though we couldn't pinpoint exactly how. It was a very odd feeling, like we had touched something beyond our comprehension. Neither of us knew what had happened that night, under the shadow of the Tory and the glow of the mysterious light. Yet, it remains one of my most unforgettable experiences, a tale of the mountains that I carry in my heart. The first time I saw the Leviathan, I felt a cold shiver run down my spine. I'm Agent Walker, a combat diver with the US Coast Guard. I've faced plenty of challenges in the deep sea, but this, this was something else. The creature was monstrous, its body twisting and turning beneath the surface of the Atlantic, its dark silhouette blotting out the sunlight. It had risen from the depths and was now a threat to the eastern seaboard. Our mission was simple, in theory, neutralize the Leviathan and save the coast. But there was more at stake for me. I was forced to confront my own fears, my own demons. You see, I have a past that not many know about, a past shrouded in mystery and filled with creatures of the deep. I've always felt a strange connection with the ocean and its inhabitants, an affinity that was both a blessing and a curse. As our unit prepared for the confrontation, I found myself staring into the inky depths, my heart pounding in my chest. I felt a strange kinship with the beast. Just like me, it was a creature of the deep, brought to the surface against its will, feared and misunderstood. The plan was daring. We had to get close enough to the Leviathan to inject it with a powerful sedative, allowing us to steer it back into the deep ocean where it belonged. The task fell to me, the combat diver. I was to swim up to the creature, avoid its wrath, and complete the mission. As I plunged into the cold water, my past flashed before my eyes. The memories, the fears, the secrets. They all came crashing down. But I pushed them aside, 
focused on the task at hand. I swam towards the Leviathan, my heart hammering in my chest. The creature was even more magnificent up close. Its body was covered in ancient scars, a testament to a long life spent in the ocean's depths. Its eyes were filled with a strange intelligence, a silent plea. I could feel its confusion, its fear. It was not the monster we made it out to be. It was just lost, scared. Summoning all my courage, I swam up to it, the syringe in my hand. I plunged it into the creature, and for a moment, our eyes met. There was an understanding there, a silent agreement. It knew what I was trying to do. And then, it began to descend, its massive body sinking into the darkness. The mission was a success. The Leviathan was back where it belonged, and the eastern seaboard was safe. But more than that, I had confronted my own past, faced my fears. I was not just a combat diver, but a man with a deep connection to the ocean and its creatures. And that connection, that understanding, had saved us all. When I was a teenager around 2004, we used to sneak down through a quiet area of scrub, over the dunes onto the beach to smoke weed. I lived in a very small, coastal town on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. Typical wildlife was possums, wallabies and maybe the occasional kangaroo. Definitely no dingoes, crocs or other apex predators around. One night as we quietly made our way down the path, we noticed a shuffling, rustling sound in the undergrowth near the path. We stopped moving, and the sound seemed to stop as well. There was absolutely zero light except from some houses in the distance and the moon. After a brief pause we decided to keep moving, we heard the rustling sound again and this time noticed some bushes moving. We stopped and my friend whispered holy shit did anyone else see the trees move? I whispered back I only saw the bushes move. We stood there frozen for a few beats, in my head I was weighing up the option to either continue on the path or leg it back home. We took a few more steps forward when we heard the sound like leaves crunching underfoot. At this point I reached out and grabbed my friend's hand, thinking maybe we were being followed by someone. It was right then I noticed I could smell something awful. What the F is that smell my mate whispered, his voice came out so small it frightened me even more. We stood there for so long, but probably only a minute or two, until we heard a low groan slash growl sound coming from a few meters away. Now brushdale possums are quite common to the area, and are known to make a kind of grunting slash coughing sound but they are, from the ones I've ever heard, distinctly higher pitched and more chirpy sounding than what we heard. This was a low and more sonorous sound, kind of like er with some strange catching tsch sounds at the end. Needless to say we wordlessly booked it straight back up the path the way we came. It sounded to me like a huge commotion of leaves crunching and branches shaking and crashing behind us as we ran, but reflecting on it with my adult hindsight, it definitely could have been us making all that noise. We never went back to that spot again, and would bring it up from time to time, trying to speculate what could have followed us that night. Our best theories were that it was just a bloody big possum or a person trying to scare us. The biggest issues we would argue over was why would a possum follow us, let alone down on the ground, although my mate says he saw the tree branches move as well, 
And if it was a person, how did they make that sound? And what was the smell? And why didn't we hear any footfall? Maybe it was just a coincidence of events? A person following us, a nearby possum growling, and a nearby dead animal stink wafting over at just the right moment. It still makes me shiver to think about it now. In February last year me and a bunch of friends went camping at Moss Park, a county park to the southeast of Orlando. This county park is on a forested island with two large lakes to the east and west, and two extensive nature preserves to the north and south. We were just hanging around the campfire drinking beers and smoking pot. Around 11 PM, me and three of the friends decided to go for a walk into the nature preserve to the south. Our destination was a dock on a pond slash cove of the large lake to the west. I normally am not the type to go walking around in the woods in the dark. I do a lot of hiking but always during the daytime hours. I guess being slightly inebriated and with friends made me braver than usual, so we went trekking off into the woods in the dark with nothing but a flashlight to protect us. At first the trail was taking us through a large swamp, and nothing felt out of the ordinary. Next, the trail entered a thick pine forest. Here, things began to feel a bit different, and in retrospect, it was very quiet, but I wasn't concerned at the time. We got to the dock and started shining the flashlight around hoping to see some alligators. There were no alligators, no bugs, and no sign of life in general. I thought it was a bit odd, but again I wasn't too concerned. Then all of a sudden something changed. Within a few seconds, all four of us said something along the lines of do you feel that? Something all of a sudden felt very wrong. Then one of my friends said listen to how quiet it is. We all shut up and listened. It was insanely quiet. Not a single frog, insect, or bird. Even the wind had stopped. It was the quietest thing I had ever heard in my life. It was like we were inside a vacuum. Remembering this lack of sound gives me chills to this day. Next we all remarked how cold it was getting. I started getting goosebumps. It felt like the barometric pressure had just plummeted. At this point, we all agreed that we needed to get the F out of here. There was a strong feeling of impending danger. Like something wanted us to leave ASAP, and we would be in big trouble if we didn't. I was able to feel that all of this energy was coming from across the pond towards us. I think all of my friends could feel this as well, because we were all focused on the pond, nobody was paying any attention to the dark woods behind us. It felt like a charge of energy was running through my body, and I could feel exactly the direction that this energy was coming from. We all agreed that we had to leave and started walking back at a fast pace. The bad feelings were still present while we were walking back through the pine forest. One of my friends actually started crying. I was not too worried though, I felt like we would be okay as long as we kept walking. Once the trail exited the pine forest and entered the swamp, all the bad feelings were immediately lifted. It was like we had crossed some sort of threshold, and everything felt fine again. I think we may have been run off by a Sasquatch, because I've seen them myself on a few occasions, and I've heard that they can put these bad feelings into people, but we didn't see anything so I can't say for sure what it was.
about 15 minutes after getting back to the campfire where the rest of our friends were, we heard what sounded like someone or something whacking a tree with a big stick one time just across the campground. This may have been related to what happened earlier. The campground host immediately got up and started walking around with a light, as if they were equally surprised by this sound, or possibly this kind of thing had happened before. I had to leave the next morning to go to work, but some of my friends stuck around and went back to the dock during the daylight hours, and they reported that nothing was out of the ordinary this next time. I still go hiking a lot, but I am not planning on doing any more hiking in the dark. It felt like we were in legitimate danger, like whatever it was could have made us disappear if we didn't leave ASAP. So, little bit of background, I am from Spain, with family from Italy. This story is 100% true. Me, my dad and my brother are all three familiar with camping, nature etc. We don't get scared easily and we aren't really superstitious or whatever. Also, excuse me for any grammatical errors I might make in this, English is not my first language. Now the story, this happened in 2010 I believe, I was 8 years old then and we were on summer vacation in Italy, in the region of Tuscany, where some of our family is from. We, brother, dad and me, were hiking in the country, far away from any towns or any other form of big civilization. We were not very familiar with this route though. All of sudden, we stumble across what looks like an abandoned Tuscan farmhouse. Not very big though. We all look around and yell asking whether there was someone. It looked very abandoned, the door was missing, plants all growing over the place. Safe to say, no one lived there. So, since we love adventure, and it didn't seem like a bad plan to do with two children, we decide to take a look at the place. As we are going to enter the house, out of nowhere comes a barn owl flying out of the house, it was dark in there. So we had a quick scare but nothing too bad, it's just an owl right. Now we enter the house and we just find the typical stuff you would imagine to find when you're in an abandoned house. Cutlery and plates on the ground, a candle, some old paintings, nothing really valuable though. Now we see an old wooden ladder that leads up to a hole in the ceiling. It was not a very big hole, my father couldn't fit, to give you an idea, he is like 6 feet 2. And so since I was the oldest of the two kids, I would go up and tell them what I saw upstairs. Now I went up the ladder and got in a room, where I could see barely because the windows were covered with wood boards. So I could make out some stuff by a few sunrays that would get in through the gaps. I could see graffiti signs, typical for an abandoned house right? And I saw another room, so I told my father and brother that I would advance to there and see what was up. As I opened the rotten wooden door, I immediately stood still. A disgusting, rotten smell penetrated my nose. I almost had to throw up. I wanted to know what caused this bad smell. Then, in the corner of the room I could make out a silhouette. I got closer to investigate what it could be and I could barely make out that it was the lifeless body of a dog, a big dog. And, spicy detail, the body was skinned. No fur nothing. Just pure rotting flesh in the shape of a big dog. I don't remember how long I just stood there, frozen. 
But I woke up from my shock with the screams of my brother because apparently the barn owl had gotten back inside the house and it almost hit him. So my dad yelled at me to come back and I gladly obeyed. When I got back downstairs I told him what I had seen, and the look he gave me was that of a man who is scared to shit but doesn't want to admit it in order to not scare his young kids. He just got close to my ear and whispered to run. We ran out of that place and never got back or even close to the route leading to it. Now it might not be very scary compared to other stories on this page or very backwoods related but I thought I'd give it a go since someone said they wanted to hear stories from outside the northern American sphere. It was still in the country part and there were woods around it though. I am sorry in advance for my English.